everybody. Great to see you here uh, this morning. And uh, man, if you're here on campus online, we're just really blessed to have you here studying God's Word with me. You know, the mission of our church is to lead every generation to know and to follow Jesus. You've probably heard us say that before, right? And so following Jesus means not just worshiping once a week on the weekend, but it also just means meeting with God every single day. In fact, we really encourage you to be in God's Word every day, to read God's Word, to pray. Uh, we've, we provide a Morning Thrive, which is a video devotion that you can get in your inbox every morning for free to encourage you with that. We have printed materials for that. We have a grow group that trains you up on how to do that, connect groups that support you in that, because we really want you to hear from God every single day. And sometimes when you hear from God, when you meet with God in the morning, God speaks to you in a very profound way. That is what happened to me on August the 19th. I was doing my daily Bible reading like I always do. I was sitting down, wasn't preparing a sermon. I was just meeting with God, reading his word, praying about that. And in my regular reading, I came to a verse that I'd certainly heard before, but it seemed like it had new meaning this time. It seemed as if God was sitting down right next to me and speaking to me directly. And I went back, I told our team about it, and they said, Craig, you know, we, we concur that that's from God. And not only that, we think that you need to share that with our church family. You know, I don't just preach every, everything I have in my quiet time, all right? A lot of that is just for me. God's working on me, right? But sometimes it, it, it needs to be something that I share. And so what I'm going to share with you today is really coming out of the overflow of my own walk with God. And I do think that it is a very timely message. It's something we need to hear right now. So I hope that you'll have ears to hear it, eyes to see what God says to you today. So get your Bible out. Won't you open up the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, all right? Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just kind of set the stage of what's happening in the context of what we're about to read. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament. He lived in very turbulent times. He was actually born during a time of great national revival where people were turning their hearts back to God. But shortly thereafter, it just went straight on a downhill slide. Morally downhill, spiritually downhill, in every possible way, the people were rebelling against God and would not listen. And so finally it comes time for judgment and God is going to judge the nation of Judah. He's going to judge Jerusalem, the city. And so in 597 BC, he brought the Babylonians, a superpower of the time, against the city of Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And he began to draw out exiles, people from Israel that they were going to deport basically back to Babylon. And in that first wave of deportation, they took some of the youngest and the brightest and best leaders, and Ezekiel was one of that group. He was one of those in the first deportation. And so now he's living in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. He's living far from the land, far from God in his mind. And yet God, even there, begins to speak to him about the land and about his people and about what he's doing. He witnessed in his lifetime his worst nightmare, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the dismantling of his homeland, the, the uh, exile of an imprisonment, enslavement of his own people. And yet in all that chaos and all that uncertainty, God was speaking. 
And, and the reason why this got my attention that morning is because I look around at all the uncertainty that we're dealing with. And I look around at all the moral decline that's happening around us right now. And you say, God, how is, well, what are you doing here, God? Why is this happening? And, and this is what he said to me that morning, and I want to share it with you. So look at it with me, Ezekiel uh, chapter 22, uh, beginning at verse 30. This is the word of God. I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. Now, I want you to underline that phrase, uh, would repair the wall and stand in the gap. You know, walls in the ancient world were very important. A city without a wall was a city that was unprotected. A city without a wall was a city that was vulnerable, right? And I remember going to Jerusalem several years ago, and, and I actually got to get on top of the ancient wall and walk around the ancient wall. It's a really cool thing to do if you get a chance to do it. And you would see the, the archer slits where they would shoot the arrows to defend, uh, against, uh, defend the city against oncoming enemies. Uh, you actually saw bullet holes that were sprayed on there from the Six-Day War back in the late 60s. It's all still there imprinted on the wall. So the wall was important because the wall protected the city. But here he said that he searched for somebody to stand in the gap. Uh, some versions, look at your Bible, some versions say breach, to stand in the breach, right? So there, this wall that's protecting the city has a breach, it has a gap. You know what a breach is, right? When, uh, when security is breached, that means somebody gets through the perimeter of security. When uh, there's a data breach, then that means somebody broke in and stole data, right? And when there is a breach in a wall, what that means is that the wall that you're depending on to protect you has a gap in it, has a hole in it where the enemy can get in. It's a spot where you're vulnerable. Now, what God is speaking through Ezekiel is not about a literal wall. He's not talking about a physical wall. He's using this as a metaphor for what is happening in Israel, why all this has come upon them. And basically what he's saying is that Israel has left herself vulnerable and judgment is coming because of their moral and their spiritual decline. Because what you've allowed to happen morally and spiritually has left you vulnerable for this kind of judgment to come on you. And uh, of course, many people are saying, well, who's responsible for that? right? I mean, who's at fault? If, if the city of Jerusalem is falling because all this stuff is bad is happening to us, who do we point the finger at to say it's their fault? And so God actually starts pointing fingers, all right? In this passage, he starts calling names, and he starts pointing fingers at who is responsible. So in order to find that out, we got to run our finger up, uh, back up to verse 25, okay? Look at verse 25. This is the first one he points to. He says, the conspiracy of her prophets within her is like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, seize wealth and, and valuables, and multiply the widows within her. Run your finger down to verse 28. Her prophets plaster for them with whitewash by seeing false visions and lying divinations saying this is what the Lord God says when the people when the Lord has not spoken you see the prophets were the people that spoke for God the only way they knew that God was speaking is through the prophets 
And he said, these prophets are false. These prophets are not telling you the truth. They say they, they're, they're hearing from God, but I'm not speaking. They say, thus saith the Lord, and I didn't say that. And they're misrepresenting me. You know, there are some times that somebody may come up to you and say, well, you know, God really gave me a word for you. God really spoke something I need to tell you, right? Uh, I'm not saying that that can't happen, but I think you need to really be guarded about that, right? Especially ladies, if, if God comes up and says, God told me we're supposed to get married, you might say, hold on, pal, all right? God's got to tell me that too, right? Uh, but, but, you know, we have to guard that. First Thessalonians 5 says we need to guard uh, and, and, and test these things to see if they're from God and cling to what is good and let go of what is not. We have to be guarded in that. And, and he's saying this is what was happening in Israel. These prophets were saying, thus saith the Lord, God gave me a vision for you. God gave me a prophecy for you. And he said, I did not speak. Not only that, they were on the take. If you look at verse 25, he says they're like, they're like these, these, these predators that are getting their claws into their bank accounts, right? And they're just wanting to bleed you out financially. They're trying, they're on the, on the financial take. They are corrupt people, all right? So these prophets were part of the problem of why Israel was in the spot that they were in. Look at the other group that he points to. Look at verse 26. Her priests do violence to my instruction and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between holy and the common and they do not explain the difference between clean and the unclean. They close their eyes to my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Wow. So not only are the prophets a problem, but the priests are the problem. The priests were like the pastors. These were the ones that were on a day-to-day -day ministering to the people. And he said the problem was that these priests never distinguished what was good and what was bad. They never said clearly this is wrong and this is right. They never preached against what was sinful. They never confronted people in their waywardness. I mean, the whole city is going on a downward slide and no one's standing up and saying, hey, this is wrong. I was reading an uh, article this week of a lady who was uh, actually a new Christian up in Sweden, and she's writing a letter to a, a popular pastor that's in the States. And she said, uh, my pastor never talks about sin. He never mentions sin at all. And she said, is that a problem? And of course, the guy that responded said, uh, yeah, that, that would be a problem. Anytime you're editing out words like sin, like repentance, like brokenness, like judgment, this is a problem. And that's what was happening. These priests were just editing their sermons to be sure they didn't offend anybody so that they can make everybody happy with what they had to say. And if, if, if the sermon is here just to make everybody happy, then you're not teaching God's truth. Because many times God's word is going to confront us. You know, the Bible said it's like a hammer sometimes. It's like a fire sometimes. I mean, it comes down uh, and, and convicts us. The Bible says the word of God is like a, a sword that pierces to our hearts and exposes things that are wrong. Even our attitudes and our motives are laid bare before God. And if we ever get to a point where we're not preaching what is true, if we're, if we're, if we're whitewashing things that are sinful, then we've, we've certainly lost our way. And that's exactly what happened with these priests. They Look at what God says. I am profaned among them. In other words, I am treated as a common thing. I'm no longer seen as holy. 
There's no longer this sense that God is holy God and I'm going to give an account for my life. Now all of a sudden God is just something I kind of call out to every once in a while. It's something I do on the weekends. He has no real bearing on my life at all. And that was the fault of the priests. So he points to the prophets. He points to the priests, but God's not done yet. Okay, keep looking. Look at what he says, verse 27. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey, shedding blood, and destroying lives in order to make profit dishonestly. All right, so now the, now the officials, these are like the government officials, right? They're also on the take, right? They're just like the prophets. They're, they're after everybody's money. They're not doing what's right. They're, they're, they're constantly in some scandal. They're ripping somebody off, all right? And by the way, is anybody tired of political ads yet on television? Yeah, I've I'm, I'm just about had it. With all, because what happens is you get this one, uh, one candidate, oh, they're terrible. You know, they did this. They sold you out. They want this. They want that. And then you turn to the other guy that's running against this person. Oh, they're terrible. They did this. They did that. And it's like, everybody's terrible, right? I mean, it's like, that's what was happening. This thing was written almost 3,000 years ago, and the heart of man has not changed. People that are in power often abuse that power. People that have position of authority often abuse that for their own gain. The, the, heart, of the man, heart of man has not changed. And so he said these officials that were supposed to protect the people and serve the people and watch over them are just on the take. They're just getting whatever they can for themselves. And probably what, what's happening is the people that are hearing this are going, yeah, that's exactly right. That's why our nation's going down the drain. It's because those prophets up there and those priests over there and those, those officials over there, they're the ones to blame, God. You tell them, God, it's their fault. And he's going, hold on a minute. I'm not quite done yet. Oh, really? Yeah, well, let's just keep reading. Look at verse 29. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and the needy and unlawfully exploited the resident alien. So now he's just talking to all the people. He's going, you guys aren't off the hook either. You guys, I know what you do. You exploit people. You take advantage of the poor. You take advantage of the needy. You exploit the foreigner that's among you and you use them for your own benefit. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about social justice. And there is an ideology under the banner of social justice that really does not have God at the center of it and really, quite frankly, is very divisive, pitting one group against another group um, and, and never leads to peace. But true social justice begins with God. True social justice begins with God. That God is just in his nature. And because God is just, he has now created men and women of all nations and nationalities and backgrounds. And we are stamped with the image of God. That means we're valuable because God created us that way. And so all people then should be treated justly. No matter what background, where they come from, uh, what language you speak, what gender you are. You're to be treated justly because God is just. And his people are to be a reflection of that justice. So true justice begins with God. But, but here they had no sense of justice because they had lost their understanding of who God was. Because they no longer honored God and saw God for who he was, then in their moral decline, they just abused everyone. And that is exactly what 
we do when we drift far from God. And so he points to everybody. And so all that leads up to verse 30. That's when he says, so I search for a man, somebody. <laughs> I search for somebody. I couldn't find him with the priest, couldn't find him with the prophets, couldn't find him with the officials, couldn't find him on the street. But I searched for someone among them who would repair the wall, who would stand in the gap or stand in the breach before me on behalf of the land so I might not destroy it. But I found no one. God is saying, listen, I don't want to destroy this city. I don't want to bring judgment. In fact, if you look over in Ephesians uh, 30, I mean, uh, Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel 33, just a, a couple of chapters later in verse 11, he says this, as surely as I live, says the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, of wicked people. I, I only want them to turn from their wickedness, wicked ways so they can live. He says, turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? In other words, God's saying, listen, I don't, I'm not happy about bringing the hammer down. I don't want to bring judgment. And basically, I'm calling people to turn, to acknowledge your wickedness, to acknowledge your sinfulness, to cry out for mercy, and I would bring it. But people would not turn. They would not acknowledge. they point the finger at everybody else. And they would not turn to the Lord. And he said, I searched for somebody that would stand in the gap, but I didn't find anybody. You know, when I read that phrase, I searched for a man and I found no one, I wonder what Ezekiel thought about that, right? Ezekiel's probably thinking, hello, <laughs> what about me? I'm a guy, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I, I love you, God. In fact, historically speaking, Daniel was also in that first deportation of Babylon. Daniel was still alive during this time period. Obviously, the uh, the three of his friends were still alive in this time period. What about Jeremiah? He was still alive. He was a contemporary of Ezekiel back in Judah and Jerusalem. What about those guys? Why, why weren't those guys able to stand in the gap for the people to hold back the judgment of God? And that's a really good Bible question. And so in order to understand this, you really have to look at this passage through two lenses. Okay? The first lens is this, the lens of principle. In other words, God is teaching us a principle through this passage that we can apply to us today. And here's the principle, all right? The principle is that sometimes the prayer of one preserves the lives of many. That's the principle. Sometimes the prayers of one preserve the lives of many. We see this all the way through the Bible. Let me give you a couple of brief examples. Um, in, in Genesis 18, you see God, he sees Sodom and Gomorrah, this wicked city that deserves judgment. And so he's going there to destroy this city and Abraham finds out about it. And Abraham begins to intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, primarily because his lot nephew is still there and his family. And so he begins to intercede and God in his mercy allows Lot and his family to leave before he brings judgment down. That's one man pleading on behalf of of the many. We see it also in Exodus when God is 
speaking with Moses up on Mount Sinai and they get, he gets the Ten Commandments. You've seen the movie, right? Where he comes down with the big Ten Commandments, the big tablets, right? And, uh, and there they begin to hear something going on in the camp. They look down and, and all the Israelites are just in this mad, crazed rave dancing around the golden calf that they're worshiping. All kinds of godless things going on down there. And God says, stand back, Moses. I'm just going to wipe them out. We're going to start over with you. And Moses intercedes for these people that deserve judgment. And he says, God, surely you're not going to wipe them out. God, they're your people. God, have mercy. And God has mercy on them. Another example is in Numbers chapter 16 where, again, the people of God rebel against him and they deserve judgment and God sends a plague through the people and the people are dying because of the plague. But Aaron, Moses' brother, runs and he gets a censer that's a, that like has incense in it and he begins to swing it before the Lord, the incense representing the prayers. They're lifted up to God and it says literally he stood before the dead and the living, waving his prayers before God and God relented. One man standing in the gap. Listen, you can find these in the New Testament. A father crying out to Jesus on behalf of his sick and dying daughter. An official crying out to Jesus on behalf of his sick and dying servant. Uh, the Apostle Paul praying on a boat that was rocking in a storm, crying out to God, he'd be merciful and preserve all those that are on that boat, which he did. Here's the point, that sometimes God listens to the prayer of one person to preserve the lives of many people. Now, I'm so thankful that God has done that in my life. You know, when I was not walking with God, I had a mom that prayed for me. And because of her prayers, God preserved me. And there have been many other times when I couldn't pray for myself that other people stood in the gap and interceded on behalf of my life. Listen, God is still looking for someone to stand in the gap and pray. God's still looking for somebody today, today, to stand in the gap and pray. Let me be more specific. God is looking, God is looking for teachers who will stand in the gap and pray for their students, calling them out by name. God's looking for bosses who will stand in the gap and pray for their employees and the things that's happening in their life, that they will turn their hearts over to the Lord. God's looking for coaches that will stand in the gap and pray for their players. God's looking for neighbors that will stand in the gap and pray for their neighbors on either side. God's praying for, uh, God's looking for uh, moms and dads that will stand in the gap and pray for their children and their grandchildren. God is looking for employees that will stand in the gap and pray for their co-workers that they would come to know Christ. God's looking for daughters and sons that will stand in the gap and pray for their family and for their parents. God's looking for or churches that will stand in the gap and pray for their community. God's looking for you that will stand in the gap and pray for our nation. God's calling every one of us to stand in the gap and pray. The question is, are you doing it? Are you standing in the gap? Who knows, maybe your prayer would be the one that holds back judgment, that brings about spiritual awakening. You know, I found that it's easier for me to complain than it is to pray. You ever find that true in your life? I mean, I can complain without even thinking about it. You know, it can just come in, just, just bubbles up. Well, what about this? And I don't like that. What about them? I, I, can, I can easily complain about everything around me, but am I praying for those things? Am I standing in the gap 
for those people. I'm so thankful that there are people staying in the gap and praying for our president even now. You know, we have uh, tomorrow night, our real-time event. One of our guests is going to be Pastor Ramiro Pena. Uh, Pastor Pena actually has an office in the White House where he goes frequently. And there he meets and prays with our president, with our vice president, with uh, cabinet members and congressmen and congresswomen. And, and he is there simply to call on God to give them wisdom and have mercy on our nation. You won't hear about that on the news, but it's happening. Standing in the gap and praying, and I'm so thankful. But are you standing in the gap? Are you praying? That morning as I was reading this passage, I wrote down in my journal, God is still looking for men who will stand. Stand before God in prayer. Stand for what is true and right. Stand against the forces of darkness and the heavenly realms. Then I wrote this prayer. Oh, Father, we live in dark times. The clouds of divine judgment are gathering. Only your mercy and grace can hold back what we deserve. But I want to be a man who stands in the gap in these days. Is that your prayer? To be a man and woman who will stand in the gap. So this passage is really a principle, a challenge for us to stand and pray. But another way that you see this passage is looking through the lens of a promise. That actually this passage is a promise. Look at it again. I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so I might not destroy it, but I found no one. There's a bigger picture here. Something else is going on. This gap is too big for one man to fill it. Too big for Ezekiel to fill it. Too big for Daniel to fill it. Too big for Jeremiah to fill it. In fact, only the promised one that God promised and foreshadowed would come could eventually stand in this gap. And they, all the way through the Old Testament, there's a, a sense that one day the Messiah is going to come. One day he's going to fulfill uh, his promise. One day he's going to stand in the gap between a holy God and sinful people. One day he's going to make us right with God. He's going to fill that gap and hold back judgment. One day he's going to come. And one day he did come. And his name is Jesus. And when Jesus Christ came, he came for that very reason. Job, the, the man in the Old Testament that suffered so greatly, really made it clear. And I think he echoed what is in our hearts today when he said this. There is no mediator between us, talking to God, to lay his hand on both of us. In other words, he was saying, God, I, I feel so distant from you, God. I feel so wayward from you, God. If there was only somebody who could mediate between us that could put his hand in heaven and hand on me and bring us together. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. When he came to the cross and he was lifted up, suspended between heaven and earth, he was in the gap. Dying for your sin and for mine. He loved you so much. All your sin was placed on the back of Jesus. And he died in your place. In the gap. He suffered the wrath of God on our behalf. That's why 1 Timothy 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all men. That's you and that's me. So when we look at this passage, we see it's a promise 
that it was echoing that one day, no matter what's happening, Ezekiel, your world's falling apart, your homeland's destroyed, everything is gone that, that is stable, but God has not changed. <laughs> and he is still on his throne. And he is moving, and one day he's going to bring the Messiah to come to ultimately stand in the gap for you so that you can be reconciled to him. Listen, the hope that we have today is not going to be found in an election. The hope that we have for our nation is that God will bring about a spiritual awakening and renewal and revival that will turn our hearts back to him. That's what we need. That's desperately what we need. When we see the moral and spiritual decline happening all around us, God's calling for men and women to stand in the gap and to pray for our country, pray for our family, pray for our cities, pray for ourselves, that God would move and be gracious to us. God's still looking for people who will stand in the gap. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe you're here today and you have never really given your life to Christ. Maybe you're realizing now that there's a gap in your wall, the wall of your life, that judgment is coming because of sin in your life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and because of our own sinfulness, the only prospect we have in and of ourselves is that one day we're gonna give an account for our life before God and we're gonna to have to pay the penalty for that sin and that is eternal separation from God. But God in his love and in his kindness and in his goodness and forbearance toward us, he sent his own son Jesus and Jesus came to stand in the gap and to go to the cross and to suffer the wrath of God in our place, in your place, so that you don't have to. He died. He was buried. Third day, he rose again, showing himself to hundreds of people, proving himself to be alive. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's coming again soon. And right now, he offers through the preaching of his word an opportunity for you to be right with God, to be reconciled with God because of what Christ has done. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're unsure if you died today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You can know right now with certainty. These things are written, John said, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so if you want to know for sure, if you want to know that you're right with God with your head bowed, I'm just gonna ask you right now just to lift up your hand. And as you do that, you're just saying, Pastor, pray for me. Pastor, pray for me. I feel that God's moving in my heart. I need to be right with God. I need to change. I need the Lord to move in my life. Pastor, pray for me. Just lift up your hand right now. And I'll, I'm not going to call you out, but I will know that God's moving in your heart. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Don't be afraid. Right now, if God's moving in your heart, don't wait. All right, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Okay, you put your hand down, all right, thank you. Just put your hand down, just pray this simple prayer with me. God knows your heart, dear Lord. I know I've sinned against you. I know I deserve judgment. I'm so aware of my own sinfulness. 
but I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And I believe you're the only one who can forgive me. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Today I choose to follow you and to surrender my whole life to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your kindness to me. Now, just with your heads bowed, God said, I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap. So I want us to to pray together. And I want us to do something a little different today. Again, just your heads bowed, nobody looking around, but if you're here today and God's put on your heart somebody and they don't know the Lord and you just really wanna pray for them right now, you wanna stand in the gap for them and call their name out before the Lord, then would you just stand up right where you are? Just stand up. You got somebody on your heart. Just start, right as you stand, start praying for them. Just start right now, calling out their name. All right, now some of you, you, you got somebody in your family that you're burdened for. Maybe they're going through a hard time. Maybe your heart is burdened for them and you wanna stand in the gap and pray for them. Just stand up right now. And just as you stand, just start praying for them by name. Just praying for the, that person that's in your family. Some of you, there's somebody at your work. And right now, as I was speaking, God was just bringing them to your mind. That's the Holy Spirit bringing them to your mind. And you want to stand in the gap for them and pray for them at your work. I want you to stand up right now and begin to just praying for that person by name, that they will turn their hearts to God. Now, some of you, you're burdened for our country. And you really desire for God to bring spiritual awakening to this land. And and right now God's moving you to prayer. So why don't you stand in the gap for our country and just stand right where you are. And as you do, start praying, praying for revival, praying for spiritual awakening. Father, we stand here today as men and women And Lord, we want to stand in the gap. We want to stand for those in our work, those in our family, those that do not know you, God. We want to stand in the gap for our country, for our police and fire officers that that put their life at risk, for those that are in positions of power and our president, our vice president, Congress. Lord, we pray for our community here. We pray for our state. We pray for our nation. And God, we pray that that you would have mercy on us, God, that while we have fallen away from you morally, spiritually, in so many different ways, God, we're standing in the gap, interceding. And God, we ask that you would be merciful to us, God, that you would give us another spiritual awakening. Lord, that through this COVID situation and through all the unrest in our country and division, God, that all this would stir our hearts to look to you for help because only you are our source of hope. And Lord, we stand there today, standing in the gap, asking you to move, to be merciful and to turn our hearts back to you, God. We love you. 
We need you. We long for your coming. Even so, Lord, come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.